Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us that the ark was not an invention, innovation, or discovery by Noah, but a revelation and bringing of Noah to the ark by God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. God has told Noah some very, very terrifying words that he's going to judge the world. And it just so happens that Noah lives on that world. And Noah's saying to himself, I need to be saved from this judgment. And there's only one way for me to be saved from this judgment, God. So God had the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ in his mind before any man was ever born. That's why it says in Revelation 13:8, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's called the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God will provide. That is who God is. He is a providing God. We need to trust. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. When Noah saw the ark, some people saw just a boat, but Noah saw God's provision. Some people look at the ark, they saw a boat, but Noah saw God's faithfulness. In the same way, we look at the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't just see a good man who lived 2,000 years ago. We don't just see a prophet. We, like Noah, looking at the ark, we look at the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, that's God's way of escape. We see in the Lord Jesus Christ God's provision. We see in the Lord Jesus Christ God's faithfulness. So when anyone asks the question, how am I going to escape the judgment that I deserve? How am I going to get to heaven, in other words? That person is putting himself in the place of Isaac. And he's looking up to Abraham and asking the same question, my father, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And then the words of God, through the words of Abraham, come, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So just as the ark was for Noah, God's provided way of escape from the judgment, so the Lord Jesus Christ is God's provided way of escape for us from the judgment. So the ark was a provision of God. Next, look back to Genesis 6.13. We've been talking about this verse. God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy. So again, you put yourself in Noah's place and you hear these words, I will destroy them with the earth. You've just heard that everyone on the earth is going to be destroyed. You hear in in 17 of that chapter 6, God say, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that's in the earth shall die. This is the first time This is the first time, you've got to remember, this is the first time that anybody has ever heard of a flood. No one's ever heard of this massive overflowing of water that kills you. If you're Noah, you've never seen a flood. You've never seen an overflowing of water. You can't even really imagine it, what it is. You can't imagine what it's like. And all you know is it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad because God said he's going to use it to destroy. But you as Noah have no idea how this flood judgment, this overflowing of water, is going to destroy everybody on earth. You can't imagine it. But Noah, just hearing about this judgment of a flood, has never seen, never been told by God exactly how it's going to work out. 
You know, that's exactly the position that we're in today, as Noah was back then. We've never seen hell, but God has said there's a judgment called hell that we've never seen it. But we, like Noah, have only been told about it, and we've been told it's really bad. It's a place of eternal suffering, of eternal anguish, of eternal pain. Now, imagine Noah, after hearing this terrible judgment's coming, and if you were Noah, if we were Noah, our first thought would be, obviously, what about me? What about me? How am I going to escape from this? And so that's why we said in verse 14, those words come so wonderfully to Noah, where he hears God say, make thee an ark. And Noah says, a what? You know, he never seen that before either. And God says, an ark. And here's the details of it. And he's going to pitch inside and out. And in verse 15, and he goes on with the details. And Noah, of course, because we know what it says continuously about Noah. He did everything he was told to do. So we know Noah was the type of person who said, okay, I'm all ears. Tell me. You know, I got my note. I'm taking notes. Now, what's the point here? The ark was not for Noah his invention. It was a revelation. The ark was not Noah's innovation. It was an enlightenment that came to him. The ark was not Noah's discovery. It was a disclosure that came to him from God. He didn't come to the idea of the ark by deduction. Noah didn't. The ark was brought to Noah by God. And that's exactly how it is for our salvation. If you like to turn to 2 Corinthians, but you know these verses, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, where it speaks about how we came to understand God's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says here in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that God, and then he calls us back to remind one point about God. This is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How did we come to put our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ as God's provided way to escape? Before God spoke light into the darkness in Genesis 1-3, there was no light. There was no light. And before God spoke darkness into our soul, there was no light. There was no light of understanding as to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. But the word in the Greek here for shined is the word lampo, which is where we get our word lamp, lamp. So it's, it really has the connotation of a beam. He's shining in a brilliance, a radiance, a beam. And just as the ark was beamed or revealed to Noah, with the same way, that's how we understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is. It's re, he was revealed to us. It's not very flattering because we don't like to think of it that way, but that's the way it was. The revelation was God beaming, lamping the light of understanding into our dark hearts. And, and so what happened? We, on our own free will, we called on the name of the Lord to save us from our sins. And then God steps in and he says, into that soul let there be light of the understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's why it says in Isaiah 53, 1, who has believed our report? That's what man does, believes. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That's what God does, reveals. On the surface, it looks like a person has just believed. But God says, no, it's not a matter of a person just believing. It's a matter of revelation. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he was explaining to Peter and he says, Thou art the Christ and Son of the living God. And then the Lord said in Matthew 16, 17, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed the Son to thee. Even your own flesh and blood 
didn't reveal. It wasn't a self-revelation. But my Father, which is in heaven. Now, so you picture Noah. And he's standing there, and he's saying to himself, as he's looking at the ark, I am so blessed because God revealed this ark to me. I'm so blessed. I never could have thought of this on my own, that's for sure. And in the same way, when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we say, I'm so blessed because God has revealed that the Lord Jesus Christ is God and he effectively paid for my sins when he died. I never would have come to that conclusion on my own. So who does God decide should have this revealed to them? Is it in God's sovereignty? He makes these decisions without any consideration of the individual as to who will receive it? No. God lets man prime the pump. Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. That's what man does. That's man's responsibility. Then it says, shall be saved. That's what God does. Now, what if Noah said to God, you know, I've been following your instructions. He's talking to God. And following your instructions, I built the ark. Here it is. And I've been giving a lot of thought to this ark. And I wonder if this ark is really seaworthy. I'm not convinced. I wonder if this ark is going to hold together. Keep in mind, I've never seen this before. You built this in dry dock. That's all there was. And so I wonder if this is going to save my family from the flood. And maybe we need some lifeboats on the side of the ark in case something happens. You never know. But God would tell Noah that the ark was enough. It was adequate. It was all he needed. And he might have said, you know, I've never seen a flood before. I've never seen a boat this size before. And, you know, we haven't even done any trial runs. We haven't done any models to make sure it's going to work. And, uh, you know, we don't even have a dry run, no pun intended. And, <laughs> and I'm a little nervous about this. You know, how's this all going to work? You know, I mean, in, back in the 1950s, there was a Dutch hydrologist who made models of different vessels of different dimensions and put them to test in a water bath. And he found that the dimensions given here in the ark were the most optimal for the maximum amount of cargo space and flotation. Not necessarily for sailing, but just to keep it from sinking. Oh, well, that's 1950, so you know Noah didn't have ability to consult with that man. So, you know, he <laughs> may have had some doubts about it, like that man did. But God would just tell Noah, Noah, relax. It'll work. It'll be enough. You don't need to know how it's going to work. Leave that to me. Don't worry. Just trust me. Just, yeah. Tell people how actually big that boat was. It's bigger than this. It's, <laughs> uh, well, let's see. It's, um, have you ever, if you've been to our building at Takati, it's the length. No, okay. Let's see here. <laughs> yeah, it's three football fields. It's big. What I said last time, it was the cargo space of 5747s. Um, depends on how you measure a cubit, because, you know, uh, Susan's cubit might be a little bit different from my cubit, you know, but anyway, if you take the maximum cubit of two feet from here to here, then that would be 600 feet. So that's really large, long. Okay, so it's big. So Noah was told, look, yeah, so that's a good point you bring up, Irene, because the issue here is that Noah's looking at this thing and saying, is it really going to work? That's this gigantic, massive structure. But he had to simply trust and obey. That was Noah. He had to trust and obey. Because God said, you don't need to know. It's just going to work. See, Isaiah 53, 11 says, He shall see of the travail of his soul, speaking of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. By his knowledge, not our knowledge. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. When the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, it was enough 
to satisfy the wrath of God. And God says, I saw the travail of his soul. I was satisfied. He justifies many by his knowledge. When the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, it was enough to settle all the debts that we had against the law of God, to settle our account with the law of God. And God says, I'm satisfied. So just like Noah, he didn't know the details of the ark. He didn't know exactly how it was going to save him, but um, he had to trust. You know, once, I don't know if I told you the story or not, but I'll tell it again. Once there was a diplomat in South Africa, and this diplomat in South Africa it really admired the Rolls-Royce car. And he wanted so much to have it. So finally, you know, he learns everything he can about the Rolls-Royce car. And he places his order. And he had studied every detail. And he knew every specification. The finest automobile made. And he places his order and he waits for them to put it together in England. And so one day, he comes rushing into the sales office there down in South Africa, and he says to the salesman, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, I've forgotten one very, very most important detail, and I don't know. And I've looked everywhere through all the specifications, and I cannot find out this most important detail. I need to know this about the car. And so the salesman says, what what is it? He said, what is the horsepower? of this car. What is the horsepower of the car? Please tell me the horsepower of the Rolls-Royce car. So the salesman goes, he looks through all the specifications. He couldn't find the horsepower of the Rolls-Royce car. So the buyer says, well, I must know the horsepower and I'm not leaving until I find out. So the salesman sends off the telex, it was a long time ago, to the factory there in England and the telex reads, customer is in the office right now and requires to know the horsepower of the Rolls-Royce car. What is the horsepower of the Rolls-Royce? So they waited and waited for a reply. Finally, the reply comes back from the factory, and the salesman reads it, and then he hands it to the customer, and it says, horsepower specification, adequate. (laughs) (laughs) Now, (laughs) when it came to Noah, having to know all about all the details of the ark and how it's going to stay afloat, God just said, adequate. That was the explanation. And the ark was all he needed. When it comes to us knowing exactly how the Lord Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God, met the requirements of the law of God, God just says, adequate. That's what he means when he said, he shall be satisfied. The ark was adequate. Now, the first word that we see God saying to Noah after the ark is built, in verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1, is the word, come. That's what he said. He said, God said to Noah, come, come thou and all thy house into the ark. Noah had built the ark, and he was standing there in front of the ark, and now God invites Noah to come into the ark. And that word from God, it is a command, but it's also an invitation. It's a command, but it's also an invitation, because the choice was Noah's. And the final decision as to whether or not Noah was going to obey God and come into the ark, that was Noah. That was Noah's decision. God didn't push him into the ark. And Noah had to respond to God's invitation. So verse 1 is the time when God invited Noah to come into the ark and to bring his family into the ark. And so that word is very important in verse 1 because that's God's invitation to Noah. Verse 7, look at verse 7, a few verses down, and you'll see Noah's response where it says, And Noah went in. 
and his wife, his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him into the ark. Very significant that those are recorded. God's invitation and Noah's response. Every person's response, every person's invitation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and their response is carefully noted as well. But those words, and Noah went in his sons and his wives and his son's wa- his wife and his son's wives with him into the ark. Those words, Noah went in, that's Noah's response recorded. Tom, today you talked about Noah's recorded response. Now, I've been a policeman for many years, and I've been subpoenaed to court many times, and I've always been impressed with the fact that every time I'm in court, everything I say, or that the judge says, or anyone else says, is always being recorded by the court recorder. Now, is there a biblical parallel to the court recorder? Yes, and and uh, it's uh, interesting that you, you asked that question about the court recorder, because I remember so clearly how in uh, 2002, when uh, when Quest Diagnostics, the largest lab in the world, tried to to kill us as a company, and they did it with a law court suit of a patent infringement. They had purchased a patent and then sued us in court for infringing the patent. And that case went on and on for five long years. And during that time, there were so many times of going into the court and depositions and depositions, and the depositions would go on for eight hours, and it would be grueling, and there would not only be the the, the court recorders at these depositions, but there'd be a video recorder as well. And it was so dramatic because what I learned there is that, you know, when when it comes to, to being in court, that the party that's again that was against us, the Quest Diagnostics, they would pull out a part at the end of an eight-hour day when I was tired and, you know, like ask some outrageous question, then get a shock look on my face and, and, a, and a bit of response. And all of a sudden on the video screen, in a 10-foot tall screen in the court, that's me. And I'm sitting there and I'm wanting to say, well, wait a minute. I didn't mean to say it that way. Let me say it. Well, you can't because it was recorded. And you just have to accept that that's what was recorded. And so it really does impress upon you that when you're in those depositions, that you that every word and every expression on your face and the way you say it is being recorded and it will be used against you. And so that's so very vitally important to understand the spiritual side of that, that we are constantly under deposition, that constantly there is a recorder that is, a, that is recording every, not only what we say, not only how we look, but what we're thinking, which is what our current court system can't do, but that's what God can do. You know, this comes out clearly in Ezekiel 28.2 when God brought an accusation against this person, the prince of Tyrus, and he wrote these things. It's written here, Ezekiel wrote, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas. Yet thou art a man and not God. 
though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. So what we see here is that it's all been recorded. In other words, not just his words, because he said, I am a God and I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. He said that, but it also says here that not only was his words recorded, but his heart was recorded when it says, because thine heart is lifted up, that was all recorded. And so when God came and, and brought the accusation against this man, the prince of Tyrus, what he was saying is that everything in your heart and everything that you've said has been recorded. God is big on recording. It says, for example, when he made his, a great proclamation in Deuteronomy thirty nineteen, God said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. In other words, he was speaking to the Jewish people and he says, look, I'm calling heaven. I'm calling earth. They all got their, 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 their pads out. They're recording everything I'm going to say. I'm going to say these things against you. And then he says that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that thou and thy seed may live. In other words, God was saying, This is an eventful moment right now. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And not only have I set these before you, he says, I'm actually going to push you in one direction, so to speak, but not really push. So persuade, I'm going to command you. And so he says, therefore, choose life that thou and thy seed may live. You know, that's a picture of the gospel. Because what is the gospel? The gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins is God setting before us. He's setting before us life and death. The gospel is an issue of a choice between life and death, between heaven and hell, between spending eternity with God or spending eternity with Satan, between light and darkness, between lies, between truth and lies between happiness and sorrow. It's all a truth, and God has set that before us, and the gospel is you don't have to choose death, lying, cursing, suffering, darkness for eternity. You can choose life. How do I choose life? Because the Lord Jesus Christ said God so loved the world that he gave he gave us, how did he give? He gave us a sacrifice. When John the Baptist said in John one twenty nine, he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He called him the lamb of God. He was the lamb of God. He was the lamb given by God. No man has ascended up into heaven to bring Christ down, but he came down from heaven. Why did he come down? Because God so loved the world that he sent him, that he gave him. And he did that. And so therefore it's the gift of God is a person. The gift of God is the person who said, I am the life. That's why it says the gift of God is eternal life. That's why it says that that uh, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He's the gift of God in Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6. So what he's saying here is that I have given to you life. I've given to you life in the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is to is to turn from your death and your death your death ways of sin and turn with all of your heart to the lamb of God and to say I receive you as my lord and savior and when you do that God records those words in fact he is so anxious to record the good words that he said to Israel to the Jewish people in Hosea 14:2 when he knew 100% that they had no heart that they were so far from God and so God took them where they were and he counseled them 
and he's sort of his rehabilitation, God's rehabilitation clinic. And he said to them in Hosea 14, 2, take with you words and turn to the Lord and say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. In other words, God says, I know how far away you are from me. I know that you have no heart. So I'm telling you, God says, I'm telling you, just take the words. And if they should say, what words? He says, I'll tell you the words. He says, take with your words, turn to me, say these words, take away all iniquity, receive us graciously. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we don't have a heart at all for him. Sometimes we're so far. I don't feel like being said. God says the preacher or the person who's really helping the other person will say, take with the words. And the sinner says, what words? And he says, I'll help you. Just repeat these words. Say them from your heart. Turn to the Lord with your heart and say, oh God, I am a lost sinner and I deserve hell because of my sins. But oh God, I believe your word, your record, which says that your son was given the Lord Jesus Christ and he died for my sins. And I now receive him as my Lord and my Savior. And I throw open my, the door of my heart. I believed you raised him from the dead. Take me, receive me graciously. Take away my iniquity, as it says in Hosea 14.2. And you know what he does? He does it. He does it just with the words in the heart as good as you can do. He says, you turn to the Lord, you say those words because he is a God who's rich in mercy. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a Jewish friend that you know of or even know a Jewish person through another friend that just needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift free or even have one sent to them free? You can contact us directly by phone, and we can help you to do that by calling us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Now, we can help you to fulfill God's command to go to his lost nation of Jewish people first by giving you a free Tom Cantor DVD and book of his life story, and how he trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Messiah and Savior. And this is a free gospel resource that's different. It's not just the Romans Road. It's from a Jewish Christian who has accepted the Lord, and it's a great, unique evangelistic tool. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org. We have an online form you can fill out to have it sent to them or to you.